And God's people said, amen. Cross, cradle, cradle to cross. How powerful is that? How true is that? Hey, we're in the second week of our series, Whispers of Christmas. And you know, if you are writing a play, if you are writing a, a script for a movie, if you are doing some sort of a drama, you would very carefully pick the actors and actresses that would portray the story. And God did exactly the same thing. When he put together the drama of the birth of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he carefully chose each one of the characters. Not, be, not by, because of what they were, but because of what they were not. If you think about the whispers of Christmas, we, we go to our nativity set over here. And we heard last week how Mary, Mary was a common child, and, and she, would, she would whisper to us, as she did in the story, A Walk One Winter's Night. She would whisper and say, this is not real. This is not who I am. Please let me be real. And we learned how Mary was a common girl, probably 12 to 14 years old. Uh, illiterate, never traveled very far from home. Just a common, common girl who God in his sovereign grace chose to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she was just a product of grace. And she said, yes. And today we want to look at Joseph. Um, Joseph would whisper and say this, really? I'm not sure. I need to hold this up and let you see this. The reason Joseph would say really is because he's in pink. Now, in the book, in the book, the, the story goes that Joseph always wears brown. And Joseph would go, pink? Really? And I do not know why. I'm assuming this is pretty old, but it's probably still made in China or Japan, and somebody had a weird day. I don't know. But no, no. He would, he would whisper, let me be real. Let me be real. This isn't real. The halo sitting around a clean stable, this is not real. Let me be real. And, and the reason that's so important is because we find power in the word of God when we let the characters become real. When, when we make them plastic, when we make them superheroes, there's no power for our lives. And I, one thing I just believe with all my heart and soul is that God wants the word of God implanted and applicable into our lives. And we look at Joseph. And, and Joseph was a quiet man. Not one word, not one word is recorded in the word of God that he spoke. In fact, he just fades from the story. Sometime when Jesus, certainly after he was 12 years old because he was in story then. But sometime after that, he dies. He disappears. Never speaking one word. And yet Joseph was a man of character. Joseph was a man in, in, in his background role. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who was a good role model as the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got to let Joseph today be real. I told Judy, really because of the essence of this message, really because it's about Joseph, I hope it will really speak to the men in our congregation today. But also know this, that every one of us, there will be nuggets of gold from Joseph's life for each one of us to grab hold of. It's just so important that we be men and women of character. His name was Wayne. He moved in across the street from me one day when we were in Cobden. And I went over and met him and we chatted and talked and chatted and talked. And it took a while, but one day he started coming to church. Already a believer, 
just didn't have a church home. And our friendship deepened and deepened. And Wayne was a, a deer hunter. And he had a friend who would come down. I think his name was Mike. He would come down every deer season. It was a really big deal for them. And they would hunt together. And Mike would stay that weekend with Wayne. And, and one day, Wayne told me a story. He said that on the opening day of deer season, while he was hunting, that the, the most magnificent buck walked by underneath the tree. I mean, he said, Wayne, it was right there. And it was huge. And, and Wayne was the kind of guy, he had hunted long enough to where he didn't just shoot a deer. It had to be a trophy deer. And he didn't shoot that day. I said, didn't shoot that day. He said, no. It was three minutes before sunrise. Three minutes. I said, but Wayne, it was three, three minutes. Yeah. But the law says, I, he goes, I know no one would have known. But I would have known. D.L. Moody said that character is what you are in the dark. And, and Joseph, in his background role, he was a man of character. And, and the darkness being overshined by, by all the other what was going on, as he moved to the back into the dark role, he was a man of character. So let's look today, not at what Luke had to say, but what Matthew had to say. And Matthew chapter 1, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there. And we're going to see Joseph as a man who simply said, I believe. I'm going to believe. And Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, Matthew starts the story. Now, now as you know, Luke was a Gentile doctor. And Matthew was the tax collector. He's the one that was sitting there at the tax booth. And, you know, he was despised. He was, he was just hated by all the Jews. And one day Jesus just walked up and said, follow me. And Matthew left his tax desk, left his wealth, left all that behind and followed Jesus Christ. And later writes this wonderful gospel that we call the gospel according to Matthew. So the Bible says in verse number 18 that the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. In other words, Matthew says, this is how it happened. Now, let me tell you why that's so very important. Because of what precedes it happened this way, before Matthew's saying, this is how it happened, he made a list. And, and then that list was a, a condensed genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you can take this home. I read old Warren Wearsby, and I remember him saying this a long time ago in his commentary, that no other Jew can trace their ancestry like Jesus Christ could because all the ancestral records were destroyed in AD 70 when Rome burned Jerusalem. But we had the genealogy of Jesus Christ because it was preserved in the Word of God. So Matthew made a list. And in verse number 16 of that list, here's what he writes. Now, you understand the list has... Begot, 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 begot. You know, you really ought to read your Bible. In fact, I'll just tell you, take time this week and go back and read that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Because, man, we got murderers, we got adulterers, we got prostitutes, we got uh, incest in the family, we got betrayal, and all that's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You know what that means? They were real people. They were ordinary people just like Mary and just like Joseph. Well, you go down and they begot and they begot and they begot. And then we get to verse number 16. And Jacob begot Joseph 
the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Do you see what's missing there? There's no Joseph begot Jesus. You want to know why? He wasn't, his he wasn't the physical father. He was a stepfather. There's no father listed there, and that would have been cause for scandal. In fact, the words of whom are in the feminine form in the Greek, implying that, that, that Jesus came from Mary without a husband, without a, a father. And Matthew thought it so essential because later on he realized that genealogy would be read that that could be scandalous. Mary was pregnant and it wasn't Joseph. He said, I better make a note. On the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I better make a note. So he says that, that the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. And we're going to look at the name several times. I'm going to repeat myself several times today. The name Jesus in, in the Hebrew, the name is Joshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And Christ is the, is the Greek form of, of the word Messiah in the Hebrew. The anointed one. So the birth of Yahweh is salvation or Savior. The Messiah, the promised one, went like this. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph. Now I've explained this a couple times. But again, it's so essential to the story. If we're going to make it real, you've got to get this. However old Mary was and however old jo uh, Joseph was, the families got together and they, they watched the game show, Let's Make a Deal. And they made a deal. And they made a deal. Joseph's family said, okay, we'll pay you so much bride price for Mary. And when that happened, when they had come to that agreement, they became betrothed. They came pledged together. We would call it engaged. But again, it's much, much stronger in that. In fact, once this betrothal took place, once they were pledged, the only way out of that was divorce. So it's a very, very strong statement. And this period lasted about a year. And here was my take home. Here was my aha moment with this particular scripture. The whole purpose of the year was to prove the purity of the bride. If she had been messing around, and at that time, unknowingly was pregnant, it would show up in a year. If, if she was a woman of unseemly character, chances are she would mess up within a year. So, so what they did was, they basically put the bride on trial for a year, and if she proved herself pure, then the marriage was consummated. So it's during that time when Mary's on trial. It's during that time when she's supposed to prove her purity. It's during that time when the bride's father had put his reputation on the line that his daughter was pure. The Bible says Mary was found to be pregnant. Do you get that? During the time when she's supposed to be demonstrating her purity, word is out that she's pregnant. Word is out that she's expecting a child. And we're going to find out Joseph is not the father. Now, Matthew protects Mary with these words. She was engaged to Joseph. It was discovered. It was learned. Surprise, surprise. Before they came together, she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Matthew makes sure we know that, that it wasn't Mary's sin. It wasn't her impurity. It was by God. She was the virgin 
issue spoke about in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The word discovered there does carry the idea of the element of surprise. In other words, guess what? Have you heard? Mary is pregnant. The part about the Holy Spirit wasn't common knowledge. In fact, it appears even at this point, Joseph didn't know that part of the story. But he soon's here. He soon hears that the bride, his, the love of his life, has committed adultery. And she's pregnant. And that is where we see a beautiful picture of Joseph. And men, we should aspire to be like this man named Joseph. Let's look at his character. We see in verse number 19. So her husband Joseph, again, keep it in mind, he was called husband, but they lived apart. They lived apart, and they had not had physical relations. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, if you're taking notes, write down words like, like um, upstanding, a, a just man, a right man. A man righteous means a man who chose to do right. That man, the Bible says, and not willing to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. This is it's such a beautiful typology of his son, to, soon to be born, his stepson, Jesus Christ. You see, there was one way that Mary was going to be condemned. And that was if Joseph brought charges. No one else could bring charges. But if Joseph chose to accuse her in a public trial of adultery, she could even be stoned. But the one who had the right to bring charges, refused to bring charges. Does that remind you of a story? A woman taken in adultery, drug out by the scribes and Pharisees. The law says she could be to them. What do you say? Jesus stepped down and wrote in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. And finally stood up and said, You without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the stones fell, and Jesus finally looked up, and there was just him and the woman. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there is not one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. What a beautiful typology in the life of Joseph. He, he chose, even though he had the right to bring charge, even though in his mind at this point, he was violated. He was betrayed. He laid aside his rights for Mary. The little title there says, I am second. Just like Jesus Christ put the entire world before him. So Joseph put Mary first. But do you see it also? Not wanting to disgrace her publicly, even though that's what she, in his mind, with the knowledge that he has now, that is what she deserved. Not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Mercy. Joseph decided to show mercy, just like his stepson would later do for so many. Do you remember a story when Jesus was hanging on the cross? And a thief who moments before was ridiculing him now turns to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? No way! 
Was it just moments ago that you were ridiculing me? No, he said, I tell you this. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus showed mercy, and his stepfather showed mercy. So she didn't want, he didn't want to disgrace her, and so he decided to divorce, her, to divorce her secretly. And what that meant was there would be two witnesses, that's all. It would be a private thing. There would be two witnesses, and those two witnesses would witness the fact that Joseph divorced. That would save her reputation. Because you see, if he, if he married, there didn't seem like to be a good option. If he married Mary, he would be much as saying, I'm guilty. I'm the father. And he could admit guilt for something he hadn't done. If he brought it publicly, it would embarrass her. So he decided to do it secretly and privately. What a man of character. Putting Mary first before his own rights. Men as husbands and fathers. And I wish I could tell you, I've lived long enough, and I've done this gig long enough, and I've been a Christian long enough where I've mastered it. I wish I could tell you that. But I still wrestle around with this. But would to God that we would be husbands and fathers who put our families and others first before ourselves. What a difference that would make in our marriages. What a difference it would make in our workplaces. What a difference it would make in churches. Amen? So, we move down now to verse number 20. The Bible says, after he had considered these things, in other words, he's analyzing, he's saying, you know, what should I do? There only appeared to be two options. You know, she, he could disgrace her publicly or he could do it secretly. He was weighing that out in his mind. An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream. Saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. So, Joseph, just write this down. Joseph apparently decided not to act rashly. These men I served with will tell you, I have a tendency to overreact. I mean, I have a tendency to jump now, do something, you know, and sometimes it works out well, and sometimes it's a disaster. Joseph was so wise, so full of character, he decided to ponder these things. He thought about it. He even, if you will, slept on it. And while he's sleeping, an angel appears. And, and I love it because he says, Joseph, son of David. That's probably the one thing that Joseph brings to this relationship. Because the promised Messiah was going to be one who came from the lineage of David. And Joseph was that one. Joseph was the son of David. He, as stepfather, the lineage would be passed on. And Jesus could be called a son of David by that right. Even that's grace. Have you figured it out? What Mary brought... What Mary brought to the table was simply that God had chosen her to be the, the mother of Jesus. It was just grace. The fact that God chose Joseph and the fact that he was born by the, by the lineage of David was grace. I'll write this down. Whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever your station in life, wherever you are, it is nothing you can claim. It is all administered by God's grace. If you have a title in front of your name, if you have a degree that you have earned, if you have a job, if you have a house, if you have a car, if you have a family, if you have prestige, if you have power, it's grace, folks. It's grace. 
The fact that we live in the greatest country of this world is grace. The fact that Sophie has been granted, and I hope it's okay to mention her name, and you know, it's granted this wonderful opportunity to come and live in America is an extension of grace. Beautiful grace. Beautiful grace. So, so he says, Joseph, son of David, one of, recipient of grace. Don't be afraid. I love it. Mary, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. Shepherds, don't be afraid. The message of Christmas is don't be afraid. You see, I am bigger than this, Joseph. I am bigger than this. We need to understand the things of our life, that our God is bigger than anything we're going to face. No matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, even our successes, our God is greater than those successes, those failures, those crises, those circumstances. I mean, do you understand? Again, the stigma and all that's about to take place is huge in Joseph's life. God says, don't be afraid. I'm bigger than this. And this is bigger than this. Joseph, you're not just fixing to adopt a son. You are going to have the privilege of being the stepfather, the influencer of the Savior of the world. There is going to be danger in his life. There's going to be people who want to kill him while under your tutage. Joseph, you don't know how important your role is. You may be regated back to the back. You may think you're in the darkness. But for the time that you have with Jesus, your role is huge. But don't be afraid. Remember, the angel said to Mary, the Lord will be with you. Joseph, the Lord will be with you. Amen? Come on, guys. God walks with us. Through the valleys, through the hard times, God walks with us. He said, don't be afraid because this this child is going to be by the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. You are to name him Savior. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Yahweh, God, is salvation. And Jesus will save his people from their sins. What a beautiful affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something. Here's a little tip to take home today. Because we get it wrong in America. Jesus came to save people from their circumstances. From their unpleasant experiences of life from their poverty, from their difficulties, from their hard times. No, Jesus came to save men from their sins. He's not. Now, he does, praise God, he does act in grace in amazing ways. But Jesus didn't come to be a Mr. Fix-It for your life. He came to be your Savior. He came to be the Savior of the world. He came to save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give him a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Wow. He shall be called Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. He shall be called the Christ, Messiah, the promised one. And he will be Emmanuel. See, we really don't have... 
Emmanuel wasn't what Jesus was called. It's who he was. And who he was was God with us. I'm still just amazed that God became a baby. Not, 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 a, not a sublineal part, not, not a little part, not a little part of God. All of God was manifest in Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. So what's going to happen? The Bible says that, that when Joseph got up, now, now write those two words down, got up. It's so cool how, how this translation uses those two words three different times. So when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded. He married her. And this is huge. The year wasn't up. Tradition said, you wait the year. Joseph was willing to break with tradition to be obedient to God. Obedience to God is a whole lot more important than our traditions. So he breaks the tradition, he wakes up, and immediately he takes her and he marries her by bringing him under his care, under his protection. But, I love this, he didn't know her intimately, he didn't know her physically until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Now we all know the rights of a husband. He had once again laid aside his rights for the cause of the kingdom. To remove any cloud, any doubt, he lays aside his rights. And the child is born, and they call him Jesus. Now, again, Joseph's only mentioned about five times. So, so we're going to hit the fast forward button. We're, we're going we're to go past, first off, all the social stigma. When, when he goes to Mary's house and takes Mary and brings him to his house, Already, the, the socialites are abuzz with, can you believe she's pregnant? Can you believe that Joseph broke tradition and moved her in? Surely he must be guilty because by burying her, he's implying that he had done something wrong. That he had not and she had not. The chatter was going. We, we, we fast forward past the, the late stages of pregnancy when it was so difficult. We fast forward past the journey from Bethlehem, or from Jerusalem, from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. We, we fast forward the words, no room. What do you mean there's no room? The protector genes kick in. What do you mean there's no room? Don't you understand my wife is expecting any moment? There's got to be some place. We move past the birthing process. No midwife. Just a young girl and perhaps a very young man who has no idea what to do. We move past the shepherds coming. We move past even the wise men. Probably two years. It took two years from the birth to the wise man to show up. And here we see Joseph the protector. I am, I will protect. After, in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 2, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. Now get this. Probably two years they had lived in Bethlehem. They were settled down again. And an angel appears again in a dream and says, Get up. It's time to go. You need to take your new son, your stepson, and marry your wife to Egypt. Why Egypt? Well, it was close. But Egypt 
was somewhat the enemy of Israel, even though there was a Jewish population there. It wasn't the best place to go. But you know why it was a good place? There are two reasons. It was a way. It was a way. When Judy and I go to Florida, and sometimes it rains, and we'll look at one another, and it's pouring down rain. It's supposed to be the sunshine state. And this time it's liquid sunshine. We'll look at one another and go, we're still away. Away is good. Away is good. But there's another reason. Because the prophet Hosea had prophesied, my son will come out of Egypt. So Jesus went down to Egypt so he could come out of Egypt. But the most important thing, he was away from Herod. He was away from the danger. He was away. And he goes down to this place called Egypt. He got up, took the child and his mother. When? During the night. And escaped to Egypt. This is so important. Joseph was willing to do whatever it took. He understood somehow that he was the protector. And that his obedience was essential to the fulfillment of God's plan for the life of Jesus. So he immediately obeyed, willing to do whatever it takes. Guys, listen to me. Men, we need to do whatever it takes for our families. Whatever it takes for your kids. Whatever it takes to ensure that they, one, come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they become grounded and rooted in their faith. Whatever it takes, we've got to be willing to do that. So God's sovereign plan can work out in their lives as he dreams and as he desires. So they went down to Egypt. And verse number 15, he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt. I will protect. I will do whatever it takes to protect my family. And lastly, we have this. We have Joseph... I will lead. So we don't know. How long was he in Egypt? We don't know. Again, we're not even sure of the ages of Mary or Joseph, and we don't know how long he was in Egypt. But we know this. His life was on pause. Anyone ever hear of life on pause? We're waiting. You know, I know, I know if you're a student, you're saying, I'm waiting until I'm 16 so I can drive. I'm waiting until I'm 18 so I can vote. I'm waiting until I'm 21 so I can do something else. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Let's get on with it. Joseph was willing to put his life on pause. He simply was willing to stay in Egypt as long as God said. Listen to Psalm 27, verse 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Guys, we've got to be willing to wait on God. We've got to be willing to wait. We often don't know what God has for us. But he'll reveal it to us if we'll wait. Psalm 46.10, the first part says, Be still and know that I am God. He might be saying to Mary, Mary, just be still and know that I'm God. He might be saying to Joseph, Joseph, just be still and know that I'm God. And he might well be speaking to your heart today, wherever you are, if you're waiting for the promotion, if you're waiting for graduation, if you're waiting for the empty nest syndrome, which is not a bad deal. Just telling you. Wait. Be still and know that I'm God. So finally, Herod dies. 
And the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Verse 20, saying, get up. There it is again. Get up, take the child. Kind of like worship experience. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. Now this is when it's really good. Verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. This is so much discernment. This is the sign of a great leader. He, he, he leaves Egypt and starts heading back toward Bethlehem. That was kind of home then. Archelaus, Herod was a crazy, evil man. And because of so... And this came from the commentary, not from me. So much family um, relations. Many people believe he was mentally sick, his son Archelaus. And he was more evil, if you can believe it, than Herod was. So Joseph heard this. He pauses. He, he had a fear of Archelaus. He was wise enough to know, wait a minute, if Herod was bad and Archelaus is worse, perhaps we should wait, we should pause. I love what one of the commentaries said. He said, common sense told them to be careful. Faith told them to wait. Common sense told them to be careful. Faith told them to wait. And sure enough, guess what? God spoke again. Look what he said. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. And Herod Antipas was there, a much better ruler. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth. What was Nazareth? Where was Joseph from originally? Nazareth. Remember, he went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Where was Mary from? Nazareth. What kind of town was Nazareth? Well, not really good. Remember? It's a, it's a, it's a nowhere town, a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. The Roman garrison was there. It was a hard place. But that is where God directed Joseph back to his hometown to raise Jesus. Is that significant? I, well, I think it is, Greg. I think it's important because it's away from the political scene. And Jesus could be raised in a small town, quiet environment. But here's something more importantly. He was surrounded all his grown-up years by sinful, hurting people. One commentary said like this. I loved it. He didn't learn to eat with sinners overnight. He learned to love and accept sinners right in his hometown. The Savior of the world who came to save the people from their sins learned early that sinners need to be loved. It's so funny. Nazareth, was, if you want to insult somebody, you would say they were from Nazareth. It was an insult. Um, the Nazarene sect was an insult. If you said, well, you're from the Nazarene sect, that would be an insult. If you want to say something that was, what, what were the words? Um, something that was despised and scorned. It was, say, Nazareth, from Nazareth. You were despised and scorned. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. Isaiah chapter 53. Is that not beautiful? How God in his sovereign will, even going back to Nazareth, 
how it played out. Isn't it? Now, here's the cool part. Would you be willing to say amen today that, you know what? God was intimately involved in the plan and the working out of Jesus' life. He is in yours too. That's the part of being real. The same God who was working and orchestrating the life of his son is working and orchestrating our life today. Let him be real. Let let Mary be real. Let us learn that we are objects and products of his grace and simply say yes. Let, Let Joseph be real. Understanding that all that we are, all that we will ever be, all that we will ever own is simply because of God's grace. He trusted and he obeyed. God calls us to that today. Trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and to obey. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? They would whisper to us today, let me be real. Man, I know, obviously because of the gender of Joseph, I hope we will own this. I hope we will understand that as our children watch what we do in the darkness, that it will be the same thing in the light as in the light. That the man we are in public will be the man we are in private. That we will be men of character. That we will be men who protect. That we will be men who will lead. But in the bigger picture, in the bigger scope, all of us, all of us, moms willing to step up and protect. There are times when mothers have to lead. All of us to trust and to obey. Now obviously this whole story centers around that one little phrase in that middle section of Scripture. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God sent a rescuer. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were hopelessly separated from God, and God sent his son Jesus to die for us, to die in our place, that by grace we could have forgiveness of sins that we could choose to follow him, turning from our sin, and live eternally. If you're here today, the last thing I would recommend you doing is try to start a religion. You know, maybe you need religion in your life. Maybe you start going to church, and that will change your life. The only thing that will change your life is Jesus Christ. He really will. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front in just a moment. And if you'd like to come and say, Brent, I want to know this Jesus, this historical Jesus that lived that 2,000 years ago. And died 2,000 years ago for me. Are there men in this congregation today who will take up the character of Jesus and of Joseph? Who will lay aside their rights? Who are willing to show mercy and love and kindness? Just a moment, I'm going to leave us in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to stay seated and try not to move this morning. Just keep your head bowed. This is God time. This is what the whole thing is about today, pointing to what we're going to let God do in our lives today. I'll have, when I pray, I'll have the team sing for us. You stay seated there unless you need to come. If you need to know about salvation, 
perhaps you're a Christian, you've never been baptized, you want to know about that. You want to know about joining our church family here, recommit your life, or prayer. We've got several folks who are in need of prayer today. Whatever we can do today, we want to do. So God, thank you very much for the privilege of speaking your word. And God, thank you that you used ordinary, real people. And God, I thank you as a man for the example of Joseph, who quietly in the background protected and led and served as a model even for his son Jesus in so many ways. Thank you for that. Have your way in this moment, in this time, God. Father, if you need to call someone to your family, would you do it today? If someone needs to recommit, would you call them today? If someone needs to be obedience in baptism, would you call them today? If someone needs prayer, let them be courageous enough to step forward that they can be encouraged by others praying for them. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.